I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. After taking a little departure last night in talking about marriage and David and his many wives, I think we're ready to continue back on in 1 Samuel chapter 26. Unless there's anything that you boys want to mention or talk about or say first, I'll give you the floor. No. Nothing right now. Okay, well let's start reading and see if we find anything. The Zephites went to Saul at Gibeah and said, Is not David hiding on the hill of Hakalah, which faces Jeshimon? So Saul went down to the desert of Ziph with his three thousand chosen men of Israel to search there for David. Saul made his camp beside the road on the hill of Hakilah, facing Jeshimon. But David stayed in the desert. When he saw that Saul had followed him there, he sent out scouts and learned that Saul had definitely arrived. Saul's going back on a promise right here, isn't he? Because he's, he's pursuing David again. And do you remember what he had promised after David had done the thing where he cut off a piece of his robe? Saul promised he wouldn't harm David again. That's right. So he is really set back on this path of destruction our enemies are a difficult thing when I say our enemies what I really mean is the sin that we find ourselves in bondage to whatever keeps us in bondage can be a really tricky thing sometimes we think we have overcame a certain sin or a certain behavior and it comes back stronger. The Lord Jesus talked about this when he talked about the man who had an evil spirit inside of him. And that evil spirit was driven out of the man, which sounds like a good thing, right? But the man left his mind and his spirit like an empty house. It was swept clean He didn't put anything else in it. He didn't put love in it. He didn't put the Lord in it. He just left himself an empty slate. It was said that um, if you don't fill your heart with God after a demon leaves, a demon seven times worse comes back. That's right. That was the story. You remember it, don't you? The demon goes out and gets seven of his other demon friends. And then they come in and raid the man who thought he'd got rid of him and he's put in a worse condition than he was before and I will testify to this when you 
get rid of a certain behavior and a certain sin, but you don't have the revelation of God's love for you and his grace for you and the new life you have in Christ as your foundation, if you haven't filled that space with him, in my experience, it's a matter of time before you just find yourself in a worse condition where the same enemy returns. And we see it twice with Israel. They spent 400 years in bondage to the Egyptians, right? And then, finally, after so many plagues, they were released. When they got to the Red Sea, who was chasing after them? The Egyptians. The Egyptians. They had literally been in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years, and they thought they got rid of them. And Pharaoh, who's like, nope, we just want them back now. Changed his mind. So they thought they had an enemy, a slave owner, done with forever. But the same temptation or the same sin or the same thing came back to put him in bondage again. And what are we going to do? Are we going to turn into God again? Are we going to stand around and complain or live in fear? My only point in going off into this tangent is just to say, Saul, we don't know what he did after he left David and promised him he wouldn't pursue him anymore, but obviously he didn't go back and devote himself to the Lord's service. It's important when we change our life and change our behavior and grow that we take our newfound life and we fill up that slate that empty room with the new thing which is clothing ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ that we have stepped into does this make sense then David set out and went to the place where Saul had camped he saw where Saul and Abner son of Ner the commander of the army had lain down Saul was lying inside the camp with the army encamped around him so David is fairly courageous here because he can see that the army and Saul, 3,000 and Saul were encamped in this place and they were sleeping and David decides, let's walk up on these guys. That's pretty courageous. David then asked Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai, son of Zariah, Job's brother, who will go down into the camp with me to Saul? I'll go with you, said Abishai. So David and Abishai went to the army by night. And there was Saul, lying asleep inside the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice which means I'll kill him on the first one. Abishai reminds me of Peter. Do you remember what Peter's kind of characteristics were? Like when the people were trying to arrest Jesus, mm-hmm. he would act right immediately and just cut off the guy's ear. That's a, Yes. Peter was like this super passionate, short... He had really short vision. He didn't think too far into the future. 
He just thought about the next immediate thing that his passion told him to do. Passionate people are awesome. I mean, maybe I'm saying that because I'm one of them. I get super passionate about things in short bursts. It's also good to think, to slow down when you feel passionate about something, to slow down and think, what would the Lord have me do? Maybe I should ask him. So Ahimelech is like a Peter that says, I'll go with you. Doesn't even think about the consequences. You're going into a camp with 3,000 men. And Abishai is like, I'm going, I'll go. Right. But he's like a Peter. He just raises his hand. I'll go. I'll jump into the water. So he goes with David. And then when they get there, he's like Peter in that. He doesn't even think about it. He's like, let's kill this guy. That just reminds me of Peter. Not not really thinking out. How would the Lord, would Lord have me behave in this situation? David, in, cha- in verse 9, David said to Abishai, Don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives... He said, The Lord himself will strike him. Either his time will come, and he will die, or he will go into the battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head, and let's go. Again, a super cool move by David. Taking the spear and water jug? And not killing the king. I mean, think, if you had this nuisance that was following you around life, right? Making your life difficult, which Saul is effectively doing to David. David lives a life of fleeing from him. You have the chance. Whatever your greatest fear is, whatever the thing that is a nuisance or a pain, a thorn in your flesh, we'll call it, against you, you have the chance to end it right now. Pull it out. Yeah. Yes, it can be done. But David really exemplifies that in this moment he trusts God. I could do this, but God didn't tell me to do it. It's so easy to trust the action that David could take in this moment. He could thrust that spear or his sword into Saul and be done with it. But, But, um, like pulling this thorn out, there's always after that like mm-hmm. they were to kill Saul someone probably like someone in the army probably would have heard would have heard woke up all 3,000 and started fighting David and the other guy exactly so it wasn't if, if the Lord didn't tell him he is not going to take matters into his own hands right now because he has the alternative of just trusting that if that's what the Lord wanted him to do the Lord would tell him to do it As it stands, the Lord has delivered him every day of his life. The Lord will deliver him again. So why go into create a more dangerous situation by trying to do it yourself? The best thing to do is to rest in God's love, is to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ, to not labor to do it yourself. We talk about picking yourself up by your own bootstraps. And that's a good thing, you know, to be motivated and to want to take leadership over your life and accountability over your life and not be a victim. Those are all good things. When it comes to your life in salvation and in the righteousness of Christ, you are utterly useless to do anything but rest in what he has already accomplished for you, in the love he has for you.
that's an awesome thing. You're right, Trey. He could have opened up a big can of worms here, and he decided not to. Brock, do you understand what I mean by opening up a can of worms? Mm, you mean by, you mean by, like, not, um, killing him? And, like, not make a bigger disaster? A bigger disaster, that's right. Because if you had, a like, a can of worms, it was just full with worms, and you opened it, and then looked they inside. Would spill out. And what do you think they'd be doing? Crawling everywhere. Yeah, just mangled Ew. up. I know, nasty, right? That's what a can of worms is. It's like, Ugh, that doesn't look good at all. Leave the can closed. No reason to open that. Yeah. We'll continue on here in verse 12. So David took the spear and water jug near Saul's head, and they left. No one saw or knew about it, nor did anyone wake up. Good point. Yes, they were all sleeping because the Lord put them into a deep sleep. Ooh. Then David crossed over to the other side and stood on top of the hill some distance away. There was a wide space between them. He called out to the army and to Abner, son of Ner, Aren't you going to answer me, Abner? Abner replied, Who are you who calls to the king? David said, You're a man, aren't you? And who is like you in Israel? Why didn't you guard your lord the king? Someone came to destroy your lord the king. What you have done is not good. As surely as the lord lives, you and your men deserve to die, because you did not guard your master, the lord's anointed. Look around you. Where are the king's spear and the water jug that were near his head? Saul recognized David's voice and said, is that your voice, David, my son? David replied, Yes, it is, my lord, the king. And he added, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? What have I done, and what wrong am I guilty of? Now, let my lord, the king, listen to his servant's words. If the lord has incited you against me, then may he accept an offering. If, however, men have done it, may they be cursed before the lord. They have now driven me from my share in the Lord's inheritance, and have said, Go serve other gods. Now, do not let my blood fall to the ground far from the presence of the Lord. The king of Israel has come out to look for a flea, as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Come back, David my son, because you considered my life precious today. I will not try to harm you again. Surely I have acted like a fool, and have erred greatly. Here is the king's spear, David answered. Let one of your young men come over and get it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and faithfulness. The Lord delivered you into my hands today, but I would not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. As surely as I valued your life today, so may the Lord value my life and deliver me from all trouble. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You will do great things and surely triumph. So David went on his way, and Saul returned home. We see so many parallels when we evaluate and examine our life and Saul's. I could hear myself having this conversation with the Lord. For I swear the 10,000th time, Lord, I have sinned. I did it. I need to stop. 
I need to go the other way. I was wrong. I know. We just had this same conversation not that long ago. We're having it again. I think Saul is just complex and and weak human being. Just like we get sometimes. And we can learn a lot from him. It's the same thing we theme we've been talking about. Repent and go back to the Lord. Just go back. Even if it's the 10,000th time, just return to your Father. Return to the Lord. Do you guys remember what Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery? You mean the one where the people wanted to cast the stones at her? Mm-hmm. He, the Lord said, let the, let the one without sin be the first to cast a stone at, at this woman. And then what did the men all do? They all left. Because they realized they, were, they, were, they had sin. They had sin. And then he looked down, and what did he say to the woman? No one is here to harm you. That's right. Now go and stop sinning. That's right. Who condemns you now? Neither do I. Now go and sin no more. When we've come near the face of destruction, and the Lord is with us and we're experiencing his grace rest in that first part I don't condemn you and then heed the advice in that second part now go and sin no more and I don't think he meant that second part as a threat Go. I don't think it was go and sin no more because if you do I'm not going to save you again I'm not going to forgive you again I don't think that's why he said the second part. I think he said the second part because it's just good advice. To encourage her not to sin. That's right. Don't do this anymore. It's not good for you. This You're not going to find peace here. You're going to find emptiness and destruction here. He actually wants to give her something by telling her that. Like you said, Trey. He's giving her advice. He's telling her what's best for her. He's not threatening that he won't forgive her again. That was fun. Thank you so much, boys, for tonight. We thank the Father for chapter 26 in 1 Samuel. We will continue in chapter 27 tomorrow night. Love you, boys. Love you. You guys are good kids.